Welcome to the Home Loan NBA, the show that demystifies the home financing process for all, whether you are buying your first home or are a seasoned investor. This is for you. I am your host, Ivan Aragon. This podcast is for informational and illustrative purposes only. It is not an offer or solicitation for a mortgage loan or any other service. It is not legal or financial advice, even though the host is a licensed mortgage loan originator. Welcome to the Home Loan MBA. I'm your host, Ivan Aragon. On episode two, today we will be talking about the three C's of credit. What are the three C's of credit? Well, you'll find out here soon. To start, let's think of the three C's of credit as creating a sandwich. Each one of these three C's have complexities, but think of it as your bread, your meat, and toppings. If you go to any deli in anywhere in the United States, you get to choose your bread, you get to choose your meat, you get to choose the toppings that go. And all of these together create a mix that's either tasty or eh, you could pass on and never come back to it. So the three C's of credit are character, capacity, and collateral. Each one of these create the perfect sandwich or the perfect situation for different types of lenders and different types of situations. None of them are the same, just as any sandwich is not the same. And it depends on who puts it together as well. Well, let's get going. Let's start making the sandwich and get to know what these three C's of credit are all about. The first C, character. This would be like your bread. This is what holds it all together. Let's give it an example of you thinking with your wallet. Think that you have some cash saved up and that you have this old high school friend that comes to you and says, hey, could you loan me some money? Well, uh, you will consider that uh, lending them some money. Obviously, it depends on to how much. But let's say it's a considerable amount for you. Now, at this point, you're going to be thinking, what about this friend? Do I trust them, right? Just because they're a friend, quote unquote, doesn't mean that you trust them to pay back your loan. You may know them well enough to know that they rarely pay their bills. They're always asking for money from everybody else and rarely pay them back. How much do you trust that friend? Well, if they rarely pay anybody back, you would never loan them money. It would be one of those things that you're like, yeah, I love you, but not that much. But now, if that friend is someone that's super responsible, that you know they pay their bills, and that maybe they're going through a hard time uh, right now, or you know they, they get paid the next, the next week, you might be more than willing to pay them to give them a loan. Why? Because you know they'll pay you back. It's the same thing with character and credit. This is what holds it all together. You see, your credit score is your character. It's a way that supposedly puts it all together uh, without discriminating and is just based on your payment history, your types of accounts, and what your credit mix is, how long have you had your credit. All of this together gives you a credit score. Now, that character is what's going to determine a lot of the things that you'll get in credit. 
Now, speaking of home loans specifically, what's in that credit score? Well, we look at your payment history. Do you make your payments on time? Do you have any 30-day lates, any 60-day lates, any 90-day lates or plus? Maybe it was a one time where you fell into a bind a few years ago and you had a 30-day late. Maybe it's a consistency thing that you're always late on your payments. Or on the other hand, you're always on time. This is your character. This is what brings you to the table to know that you are reliable and that you'll pay back a loan. Now, what types of accounts are there? Let's get into the details here. First, you have what we call installment accounts. These are car loans, personal loans, and sometimes some furniture loans. These are loans that uh, have a set uh, period, such as that, that car loan that you got for 72 months at whatever interest at the dealership, and in 72 months, you'll be paid off. Those are installment loans. Then you have credit cards, or what we called, and specifically, revolving accounts. These are those that you could pay back and be able to use it back again, time and time again. And the major thing that gets judged here is what percentage of those limits are you using? Do you have $10,000 in credit card limit and then you only use 3,000? Or do you have 10,000 and use 9,999? What is it? This is about your credit responsibility. And that is why that gets taken care of into your credit score. Let's look at a couple of other ones. Yeah, mortgages, such as any type of home loan. Do you make your payments on time? And do you have any second mortgages, such as a home equity line of credit? Are you making those payments on time as well? How long have you had it? Are you keeping that history well? The other one would be student loans, a common debt that exists today. Now, these student loans may may be an income-based repayment or deferment, and we'll discuss that a little bit later. But student loans, again, are more are similar to an installment loan in that, for the most part, have a set period that you'll pay them back once they're in repayment. But if you're still in school, these may just be in deferment. So they're a little trickier, and that's why not included into the installment loan category. And the last one is kind of the bad one. So any collections or judgments that you may have, these are debts that you let go that you didn't pay, or it might be that you ended up being in a bad medical situation and had medical debt that uh, you couldn't pay, and that went into a collection or into a judgment. Maybe you let, in the past life, you, you let a, a car payment go away. Uh, the car was re- repossessed. That would come into that, that fifth category. All these together is what constitute your credit score. Now, you may have uh, other bad things that come on your credit, such as a bankruptcy or a uh, foreclosure or a short sale. These are all specific, and we could talk about those at a later time. But for now, just think about these are the major things that take care of your credit. Your accounts, your installments, your credit cards, any mortgages, student loans, collections, and judgments. This score is a reflection of your past payment history, the credit mix, and the age. Now, credit scores could range between 350 and 850. Now, you you hear a lot about uh, minimum credit scores required to buy a home. Now, again, just as you're looking at a sandwich, 
the minimum differs by each person. So it's important to talk to a, uh, a mortgage professional to find out what you qualify for. Sometimes you hear on, on the radio, you hear on different podcasts or different, uh, you read on, online about this is what you have to have to have in order to buy a home. That is usually incorrect or usually geared to a top uh, person. Every person's situation is different. So your credit score, again, is an important part, but not the only part that uh, is required in, in your home search. Now, what if your credit score is not where you want it to be? The, be the best thing about it is that people can change. Just because you had bad payment history in the past or had mediocre payment history, you could always improve. There are plenty of opportunities to improve your credit, such as start making your payments on time and lower your credit card debts, pay off some debt. These are things that will help you improve your credit. And one of the major things about these these bad payments that you may have is there most of them are gone within seven years. So you have an opportunity to improve your credit and nothing is all lost. Speak to a professional to know that. Now let's recap this character. We have your credit score, your payment history, and your mix of accounts. All of that gives you the char character. Just as like as you're loaning to a friend, you're going to know all these tiny details about that friend before you loan them some cash. The same way with lenders. Every lender will know these tiny details about you through your credit report. So your credit score is not just the only thing that affects those tiny details. It's all of it together. And that gets to the character. Again, that's the bread in that sandwich. The next part is capacity. This is the meat of the sandwich. This is what makes it inviting, what makes a lender really want to loan you. You can have the perfect score, but if you don't have the means to pay back a loan, it doesn't really matter. You need to be able to prove that you can pay back a loan. You may, going back to the friend that we mentioned in the character piece, you may love that friend. They, they do everything they want, but if they, they can't really pay you back, Eh, you're still going to be hesitant. So what is in this meat part, in this capacity, the second C of credit? Well, first, that's your current job, right? How are you going to pay back this loan that may be for 30 years? How do we know that you have the means to pay this 30-year mortgage? Sounds really, really long, but in reality, it's pretty simple. It's your job, it's your employment, it's your assets. So let's start with a current job. You may be a salary earner or a wage earner. Now, in those two categories, you have a pretty set uh, wage or earnings. You know how much you're gonna make for the most part, uh, week in and week out. So for a lender, this is pretty, uh, pretty comfortable. We'll know that you that you make this money and that you're going to continue to make this money, especially if you've been at this job for over two years or longer. We know that you're not changing jobs every six months uh, and that you're fairly stable. Does that mean that 
the lenders have the crystal ball, knowing that you'll never get laid off and that things will always be the same? No. Lenders just know that somebody that has a salary as a wage earner has pretty consistent income. And we give you the the, the pass and knowing that this will continue and that if something were to happen, you could get another job. Now, the third category, and to those that have a job, would be those that are self-employed. Whether you're a 1099 contractor with different companies or whether you own your own uh, business. Now, that category is a little bit different because instead of bringing into the table your W-2s and your pay stubs, now we have to bring and analyze a little bit more. Let's bring your tax returns. Let's see what expenses you're writing off. And let's see how much you really earn on paper. When I talk to most self-employed people, this is a part that really gets them. But if I make this much, yes, but on paper... You're not making that much. And so for mortgage lending, it's really important that you report what you make. Now, there are programs that take into account uh, those that are self-employed and expense almost everything on their tax returns. And those are what we called non-QM or bank statement loans. Those are very specific to those uh, self-employed people. But for the purposes of today, we're going to talk about you reporting what you make uh, so that you could get a loan. Again, it's capacity. How does a lender report this capacity? Now with Dodd-Frank, we have to document your ability to repay a loan. So what are some examples of things that don't really count towards this capacity to pay? Well, just as in the case of the self-employed person that doesn't uh, report everything or that expenses everything, Maybe you have a trade and you do a whole bunch of side jobs in cash for cash. Maybe you have a trade and do a whole bunch of side jobs for cash that you don't really report. Well, we can't take into account that income because it's not documented. We don't know where it is. How often does it come? Is it reliable? Those are the things that sometimes people go, well, I make this much on my job and I make this much more on my side jobs, why can't you count them? They're the same thing. I do the same thing at both places. Again, it's what's on paper and what we can report. Again, we have to document your ability to repay. And that's what's important. That's what makes this uh, second C capacity such like the meat. Because if you can't pay it back, then we can't give you the loan. Other things that take that are taken into account this capacity, uh, as I mentioned earlier, if you've been on your job for two years, that's what we have to document, your employment for the last two years. But what if you just graduated from your undergrad or a master's degree? Well, that's education will count as part of your past employment. So if you just graduated uh, from your undergrad, and like in my case from Arizona State, and I wanted to buy a house, uh, right after I got a job, well, I could go buy a house and using my new income for my new job. Most lenders will take into account that education as part of your uh, employment history because you earned it. Take it into account. You earned it. Now, 
also if you had a past employment that went from maybe you were self-employed you tried to do a business and it worked out and and then it didn't and then you ended up going back and getting a salary job that works as well your new salary job would be able to take into account uh, your wages and the things for the capacity to pay the loan another example regarding that is the opposite if you went from being a salary or a wage earner and then you decide to open your own business at the time you're opening up your own business we need to have at least one year history of that business with a tax return now that's a case-by-case situation and in a lot of cases it requires two years think about it you're going from something that is set to something that is riskier. That is exactly why it's not uh, the same as a prior example. Now, what if you have a family that's been well off or you've done your savings and done really well in the stock market and uh, close to retirement? How do you prove that income? Well, there is an awesome opportunity for you to use your assets as income. Maybe it's distributions from those uh, assets, from those accounts that you have, those investment accounts, or uh, simply keeping them if they're substantial, and we are able to use a percentage of that as your income in order to qualify you for a regular home loan. That is something that's very specific to what the mix of those assets are and those investments. So always talk to a professional on that. Another thing that gets taken into account is your capacity to pay the loan, you know, that makes that that meat of the sandwich tastier would be if you have reserves to pay back the loan in case something were to happen. So for example, let's say you're, you're, you work your job and you have a 401k. Now, if you look at most of your 401ks, they have an ability to take a hardship withdrawal. So if you were to lose your job uh, and you need to pay your mortgage, you would be able to, for the most part, take a hardship withdrawal. Now, that may vary, and that's specific to your retirement accounts. But in general, that's the case. So those reserves really just show that, hey, you know what? If something were to happen, I have this much money in in my bank account or in my retirement account or my investment accounts that I could cash out so I could still continue to pay the loan. That just makes it a lot tastier for a lender. Does it mean that you have to have that all the time? No. It's just something that helps. The next category is rental income. So you may have uh, an investment property that you rent out. This rental income, again, helps you to offset the mortgage on that property or uh, be able to buy a new investment property with the expectation that you will be receiving rental income. These are specific things that help you in your capa- and to prove your capacity to repay. Now, that's really the meat of the sandwich. How does that all come together after we mentioned all these different categories between salary, wage earner, uh, self-employed, uh, rental income, assets as income, all these things that I just mentioned, how did they all come together? Well, it comes into the famed debt-to-income ratio. If you read anything online about mortgages and buying a house, whether it's an investment property or whatever property you're buying, you're going to hear the term DTI, debt-to-income ratio. 
and you'll hear people say it has to be this, it has to be that. And I could Google this debt to income ratio and pull up 10 different types of debt to income ratio that are important for you. Everyone will have a different opinion. Some people would say it has to be this. Some people say it has to be that. But let's dig into that part because that's an important part of the meat of the sandwich. How are you going to pay this back? So this debt to income ratio combines the meat and the bread because we need to know if you have the true capacity to pay back what you want to get in a home. So what is this debt to income ratio again? It's two parts. It's a housing ratio and a total ratio. Or what in the industry you'll hear people say the front and the back ratio. The front is the housing and the total is the back. So what goes into that housing ratio? So the front ratio includes all your housing expenses. So now what are the housing expenses? It comes down to about five parts. It's your principal and interest. This goes exactly into what it sounds, the principal that gets paid and the interest that gets paid back into your loan, back into the debt that you acquired. The next part is, if required, mortgage insurance, depending on what uh, percentage of the property value you got a loan on, you may be required to pay mortgage insurance. The next part is your property taxes. This could be city, county, or state. Depending where you live, uh, every jurisdiction is different. But you have to pay taxes. And whether you pay them with your home, with your home loan mortgage statement or whether you pay them separately, these have to be taken into account. The next part is your hazard insurance, or most commonly known as your homeowner's insurance. This is what covers you for third-party liability and in case of any uh, fire or any incident in your home. This, uh, again, has to be taken into account. And the last part is a homeowner's association if you, the property is located within the, uh, within the plan unit development that has a homeowner association. These vary widely across the nation and across different property types. So, again, all of this together has to be taken into account into that front housing ratio. That is a percentage of your monthly income. And then we go into your total Again, that back ratio. Now, the back ratio is a little bit simpler. We take that front amount, all your housing expenses, and we add your total minimum payments from your credit report. That is the minimum payments on your credit cards and your, the payments on your installment debt or uh, student loans. Let's give it an example. Let's say you make $90,000 a year gross. And these debt-to-income ratios are based on your gross income not your after-tax income. If you make $90,000 a year gross, that's about $7,500 a month. So let's say you have two credit cards and the minimum payment on those is about $50. So that's $100 totals for your credit cards. You have a car payment, which you pay $400 on, and you have a $200 student loan payment. So all of that together on the minimum payments on your credit report is $700. And then you add an estimated housing expense of $1,800. Well, that's $700 plus the $1,800 
is now $2,500 total that you'll be paying out in debts. Divided by the $7,500, you have a 33.33% debt-to-income back ratio. So what does this all mean? Well, as I said at the beginning in talking about debt-to-income ratio, this max percentage varies by program and by overall situation. Again, if if your situation is better or you have uh, a better income, it helps you out. If you want a certain property or if you want a certain program, you need to know what those are and need to speak to a professional about those. Now, that is the meat of the sandwich. Again, we discussed a lot about this meat, right? We discussed that it's your income and it's how it's related to your monthly debts and where that income comes from. But that is what makes it attractive, right? You need to know that is what helps lenders know if you qualify for what you want. So that is that second C, capacity. Can you repay the loan? Let's move on to the next part. Now we are talking about collateral, this third C of credit. What is this collateral? Think about it as in the part of the sandwich is your toppings, is what gives it the biggest flavor. So collateral in the case of home loans is what you're putting up, which is the property. This, this piece of real estate that you're putting up, in case you stop making payments, then uh, the lender could take it over. I would like to say something here that is a common misconception that it gets said about uh, residential real estate. That, everybody, that every lender just wants your home. Remember, banks and lenders are in the lending business. They're not in the real estate business. So they're not dying to get your home. Really what they want to do is earn interest from your loan. As a last case resort, they'll get your home and sell it. So again, this collateral is just what helps them know that they are secure and lending you the money in case something went really, really, really bad. Again, if you look at what we talked about the meat earlier, which is your income and your reserves, they want to know that you have the ability to repay before they even get you into the property. So what about this collateral? What things go into this home that you're purchasing? Well, a main thing that you see online and in different sources is this loan to value. It's how much are you putting down into the home and how much are you getting lent on the home? So if you're putting 10% down on a $400,000 property, that's $40,000 and your loan would be $360,000. So what is the loan to value? 90% because you put 10% down. The lower the loan to value, the tastier the deal. So if your loan-to-value is much, much lower, lenders are willing to take into account uh, other things that may not be as uh, tasty. So think about a sandwich, right? Sometimes like you may have gotten that turkey sandwich at your favorite deli that the turkey was just kind of like, eh, not too good. But that sauce and that extra thing that they put on it just made that sandwich look really, really good. And it just tasted awesome. It's kind of the same way 
in the lending business. Maybe at a higher loan to value, it's risky. It's uh, not that great. But if you have a really low loan to value and your income is not that great or your consistency or your credit score, your debt to income ratio are just all right or not the best, eh, people are willing to take that risk because they have a lower loan to value on it. If something were to go really awry, they could get their money back. But just as those toppings and those sandwiches vary, the properties vary as well. Some programs have uh, structural requirements, such as the government, any, any government insured loan, such as an FHA loan, a VA loan, or a USDA loan, things that we'll discuss in later episodes. They may have requirements on uh, what things need to be fixed, where, when do they have to be fixed, and how they have to be fixed. Other properties uh, vary as well. You, the programs vary depending if you have a single family home, if you're buying a condo, if you're buying, buying a two to four unit multiplex, if you're buying a modular home, or a mobile home, a manufactured home. Any of these properties have their own specific guidelines that are requirements to lend on. Now, lenders will take everything into account. So be wary of that. Be real specific as to what you want. And that's the the importance of getting the home appraised when you're purchasing a home. Because you will know what the market value of that home is and if there's anything that needs to be fixed. And if anything needs to be fixed, depending on the program that you're choosing. Now... What other things go into these different toppings uh, or issues that are with properties? Well, some programs require you to have double appraisals if the property has only had the owner for 90 days or less. Uh, Some properties may have title issues. Some properties may have a well or may have uh, a septic tank. Surprisingly, and even in urban areas, you still have issues with properties. It might be that uh, the prior owner decided to make an addition to the home, but they, you know, they didn't really go to the, the county or the city and register it. So that extra addition may not be uh, included in your market value of the property. Uh, in some rural properties, uh, it's hard to get comparables. So uh, it's important to look at what the what the property condition is and the cost to replace. There are many specific things that go into properties, just as you're going into toppings, right? Your character and your capacity was pretty cut and dry. The property part, just like your toppings, just vary. Just vary without, there's no end, there's an endless opportunity there. Uh, if you're in an urban area, for the most part, you kind of get the same thing. The more specific and custom home that you get, the more this third part of collateral really comes into play. So this third C of collateral comes into this loan to value. How much are you putting down? What type of property is it? And what program are you trying to qualify for? And that's what brings that collateral together. Now, as we started talking about the deli at the beginning of the episode, 
these three C's of credit are what make a good sandwich or a good loan to be able to lend on. You, you personally have to pass those three C's. You have to show your character, your capacity, and your collateral. But just as any deli that you go into, tastes are different. And so lenders are different. You need to talk to a professional. We are able to package it all together for you. Any license originator should be able to ask you all kinds of questions to package your loan, to know what programs you qualify for, for the goals that you have, and for what your situation really speaks to. It is important that you speak to someone. You'll see blogs, you'll see things, and you'll see things online, and you'll see uh, information that is different everywhere. That is why it's important for your situation to speak to someone. Because at the end of the day, we all want a tasty sandwich, and we all want to enjoy it. And you want to be able to be bring it to that chef that could put it together and bring it to a smile to a lender. Because at the end of the day, you want the property that is best for you and in the best situation available to you. Now, remember, this is just a general overview of the process. Things differ between states, cities, counties. It all differs between your situation and where you live. Make sure you contact a local professional. Or if you want me to put you in touch with someone in my nationwide network of mortgage brokers, feel free to reach out. I would love to help you be able to reach your goals. But again, it differs. Speak to somebody. And together, you will be able to reach your goal of home ownership whether it's the first home or your 10th home as an investor. Thank you for joining me today as we discuss the three C's of credit. Join me every Monday as we discuss home loans in detail. We have guest interviews from the world of mortgages and real estate. And make sure to subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to keep updated with the Home Loan MBA. If you have any questions, feel free to reach me at Home Loan MBA on Instagram or at IvanAragon.com or my email, ivan at ivanaragon.com. The opinions given here are of the respective host and guest. They are general in nature and do not constitute specific advice. The host, Ivan Aragon, is an employee of P1 Home Loans NMLS 1857499, which has a mortgage broker license in Arizona of 1002194 and a California Finance Lenders Law license of 60DBO117389. The host, Ivan Aragon, is a licensed loan originator in the state of Arizona with NMLS ID 1468842 and an originator license of 1003203 and additionally has his California DBO and MLO license number CA-DBO1468842.